1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2 and 17 through 25. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. The word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Nick. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, man. I have not, I've, I've been here for a year and two months. I've never heard you sing that loud. That was awesome. Praise God. What? I didn't hear that. I, I'm probably, it's probably good I didn't hear that. Um, no. <laughs> oh, that was great. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you, Ryan, as well, for leading us in praise and worship. Uh, at Antioch, we are a loving family, inviting all people into the life-changing way of Jesus Christ. Good. You've heard that before. Somewhere. Um, we're going to kind of talk about that today a little bit in this text, because Paul is telling Timothy, like, that we are a loving family. We are God's family. And as part of God's family... Uh, we should respect that design that God's put in place, and we show respect for that by showing respect for one another within the family of God. And he delineates some of that today. We're going to look quickly at the first two verses, uh, and then we'll, we'll pick up more at the, at the latter section. But Paul talks a little bit about uh, how we respect one another in the family of God by just kind of laying out some of these basic relationships that are there. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. It's pretty, pretty straightforward right there. Within this structure that God's designed as we are a family, as a church, Treat older men with respect. I kind of like that because someday I might be an older man and I would like to have, yeah, he's counting on a watch. I was counting on a calendar. Um, <clears throat> you know, treat older men with respect. They've been around the block a few times. They know where the cracks in the sidewalk are. They have a lot to say, you know. And so uh, in, in some church cultures that are, maybe trend toward moving and shaking, and they don't move and shake quite fast enough for us so they can get left behind. But we want to honor and respect the older men that are among us. I'm listening for amens from any older men in the room. Um, 
hearing none. Uh, re- respect the younger um, men in the church as brothers. You know, I was the youngest child of four. Any youngest siblings in here? Right? Are we just always going to be the baby of the family? Or, or can we try stuff and like that's been be okay, you know? Um, let the younger folks in the tree, younger guys, let them try stuff. Let, let, let them fail at stuff and support and encourage the younger men. Show that kind of respect that we would with our younger brothers, that we want them to learn. Uh, we want them to get better at things uh, and grow. He says to show respect for older women as mothers. Similarly to the Older men, you know, older women have learned a few things over time and have some great advice. Ask them and listen. Uh, don't take our older women. Some older women just serve. They'll serve themselves right into the ground uh, and, and can be taken advantage of that way. Don't take them for granted, but listen to and, and respect the older. And then he finishes with this respect younger women Uh, uh, Treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, I don't want to just gloss the, I don't want to see this, look at it and see this text. Treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. He means that. I was one time standing in the kitchen in my house and there was a a guy, he's probably about 29, had just given his life to Jesus, like he's a brand new Christian, and he's telling me like, hey, this church thing's pretty cool, and by the way, I noticed, and he names this single mom about that age, I noticed her, she's really hot, man, I think I'm going to ask her out. (laughs) He's like a brand new Christian, and and I just said, okay, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. As a, as a believer, you're, you're a child of God. She is God's daughter. If you mistreat her, you think you're entering this good relationship with your father in heaven. If you mistreat his daughter, you're going to hurt that relationship big time. But let me tell you something more tangible. As her pastor, she's my younger sister. And I'm telling you now, he was a big guy, by the way. I said, you remember? I said, but I'm telling you right now, if you mistreat her, I'm coming after you. I will hunt you down. And you will wish you had treated her differently. But that's true. I mean, that's like legit. That's what he's Paul's saying. And we got to be serious about that because we're living in an age right now uh, in 2024 where with especially with like social media and media that like tells people stories, we're hearing stories from churches, in who people who are in church where younger women were not treated as younger sisters with absolute purity. And we've got to make sure here at Antioch that we do it, that we're careful, and that we don't have some story of a terrible thing. I mean, people are, people are not following Jesus who could or would be because they've seen where something bad happened in church, and church didn't prevent it, and the church didn't respond well with transparency and honesty and correction and change. So I just want to like pause on this. This is super serious. The testimony of Jesus is being hurt. 
Along with people, we've got to treat our younger sisters, or our younger women as sisters with purity. So he goes on, he, he gives these two verses where he kind of summarizes. Then he rolls into this whole text that we looked at last week, a section of the older women, the widows, and how we can care well for the widows. And now he moves on to an old, another section. He talks about the older men and specifically the elders in the church and how we can interact, how you as a church family can interact with and show respect appropriately for the elders in the church. So let's just pause and pray before we look at that chunk together this morning. Father, thank you so much for uh, your word. It's, it's, it's not just a description of what was happening in some place 2,000 years ago. I think we would feel that. It would seem disconnected and out of place and dated. But your word is living and it's active. It's it's designed for us today, and it's so cool that you did that. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see it, and that we would, we would work to apply these things and live them out for the glory of Jesus Christ, the, the advancement of his gospel, and, and just for the, the well-being of the people who you love. In his name, amen. So Paul's going to talk about ways to show respect for elders in the church. An elder is, we looked at this a, few, a little while back in chapter 3, an elder is the spiritual leader in the church that works together as a team, uh, that has the responsibility for spiritual discernment and direction and teaching and those kinds of things. And with that comes like all these expectations of do this with integrity and with honor, be respectable. You know, there's expectations with it, and those are all in mind as he leads to this thing about, now how can you show respect for elders? What do we do? What's that relationship like? He gives us four ways. Uh, The first one, I'm going to spend more time on one and two. So if if I'm in two and you look at your watch, don't panic. Three and four will be quick. Uh, Not a mid-flight adjustment either. Um, So the first way is to to pay. Pay people who are in a teaching ministry. He says the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So he gives this image of like a, a farm animal that's doing a lot of work. He's literally treading out the grain, he's literally walking in food. Uh, and, and breaking that down. He's doing a work like if you expected an animal to just work all day on a farm, but you never fed it, it's going to fall down. It's going to burn out. It's not going to be productive for a long time. And that's what he's saying. Like somehow as, as, a, as a, a person who is devoting their energy and their service to teaching in the church, compensate them. Um, so that they can spend the appropriate amount of time to, to open and mind God's word appropriately, uh, not be quick or, or inefficient with that. When, when I came out of seminary um, and I preach, so I get all these tools in seminary, like here's all these different things you can do, you know, with languages and study and outlining and all that stuff. The first sermon that I prepared and preached after I had all those tools 
I counted. It took 100 hours of prep time. <laughs> it was Psalm 107, which is a super long psalm. It's probably way overly ambitious. It's 100 hours. And I've got to preach it in the church where I was doing an internship. And um, I've gotten a little more efficient over time, you know. <laughs> I can get uh, 10 to 16 probably is about what it takes now. But, you know, the, the reality is I learned early on before I went to, to, to seminary when I was in my mid-20s. I loved the church. We were serving in, the, in, in all kinds of ways. I was leading three big ministries in a good-sized church. Um, and, and we went through some hardships in our health issues and stuff, and I burned out. I hit a wall. Like, I was done. And I, it just was this good lesson of there has to be a way to budget the time that God has given us to steward in a way that's reasonable. And compensating someone who does the, the teaching work is just saying we want you to be able to have time to do that without also having to work full time in another job. Now here, you guys are on a path with, I'm a part-time interim. You're looking for a part-time, long-term pastor. So uh, that, I think, can work really, really well. But I just want to remind you, um, you have to keep your finger on the pulse of that. You have to steward that while you go. Um, you could start off with saying, hey, why don't you put in 24 hours of work or whatever, that's what we'll compensate for, and work another job, whatever the situation is. Um, but if, you end up, if that shifts, you've got to know that and, and be able to be aware. So if you're paying 24 hours, half-time, and he's working 48, <laughs> that's not a good long-term plan. Or if he's only working 10, Right, So you've got to just keep a pulse on it. And, and the, the whole idea is that someone can have adequate time to, to be in the Word and shepherd and not have to, you know, be able to, to take, not have to take shortcuts or just use AI to write his sermons, right? Because he doesn't have time. He's busy with another full-time job. Um, so that's the first point Paul makes. The second one is this. Protect him from inappropriate accusations. Protect them from inappropriate accusations. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to weave this together over these next two points, that pastors need two things. They need accountability for sure, and they also need protection from inappropriate accusations. Both of those are different things. Both of those are true. Um, you know, it's just the nature of a highly visible job. If, if a U.S. president of any time makes a speech, half the people in the country are criticizing. It doesn't matter who he is or which political party he's in. It's just the way that works. Uh, I would never want that job. That seems awful to me. Um, but here, as a, as a pastor, right, I'm going to talk to you for 30 minutes, and you're going to sit and listen. I'm not going to hear 30 seconds of what you have to say for most of you today. It's just way out of balance. And that's just the nature of teaching, right? And we have community groups where we want to have balance, but this venue is out of balance, 
And so it can, you know, you might all have opinions about what I have to say or about my life. It just means we need to navigate that carefully when you have a a role of teacher, someone in that role. Think about Moses, for example. Um, If you're doing a read through the Bible in a year plan, you've just read about these Moses this year already where Moses like led God's people for 40 years and and it was it was terrible so he's like telling them God said this and here's what we should do and he's got rebellious people he's got uh, coups being raised up against him Korah's rebellion constant complaining because it was a hard time they're in the desert in the wilderness People are complaining, Moses, you're a terrible leader. Did you lead us out here to die? I mean, it was like constant. And, and you think about that, there's this, it's, when someone is on a stage, they become an easy target. Just be aware of that and be aware of the dynamics that can come with that. Um, you know, and that is balanced with the need that there should be integrity. Remember, keep this in check with what, what he said in chapter 3. Like, an elder should be walking in integrity. He should have a good reputation with outsiders. He should be open to inspection. So there should be accountability. There should be integrity and transparency and approachability and all that kind of stuff. And yet, we need to keep that healthy uh, inappropriate accusations that can be based on rumors or speculation, frustration, that could cause a ton of damage. This doesn't help anybody. It's really, I think, connected to one of the Ten Commandments. Can you think of which one? Inappropriate accusations. There you go. Number nine. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And Moses goes on and describes that later in Deuteronomy 19 is like the reason we need, there should be a couple of witnesses before we just like accept, oh yeah, you're guilty, let's go get him. You know, like there should be, there should be accountability on both sides of that. If someone has something bad to say, if they're saying it maliciously, you're making something up, that's not okay either. There should be penalties or there should be correction on both sides of that. Um, I think in a church, uh, how many of you have heard of see something, say something? Yeah, you've heard of that. I think that's a great thing, actually. <laughs> laughing. Do you use that at work? Is that a thing at work? It's not a thing. Oh, yes, at the airport. Yeah, thank you. I'm like... I don't what is this reference you're all making? I can't understand it. Yes, if you see something, say something. It's actually a good idea. If you see something that seems wrong, you should say something. But the way we do that matters. You know, that's what I, that's what I want to talk about. Like the integrity of something seems off. You should say it. But, but the way, like, the way you say it and the way the other leaders receive that matters. And it makes a difference to support both accountability for a leader as well as protection from something that's false. Um, in December, I helped another church uh, that their pastor had committed some sexual misconduct, and so I was helping them. 
And I interviewed a bunch of people that said, I actually saw something three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, and I said something, and I was rebuked as the bad guy for saying something. I was told to shut up. I was pushed out. I wasn't listened to. And if those things had been listened to, it probably would have prevented the current thing that was the crisis. So there does need to be some space, some way to speak into, hey, I think there's something wrong, but not any tolerance for just a blatant false accusation. Uh, I, I'm thinking of a, a, a time when I, a woman looked, she pulled together the two pastors in, in front of other people and said, I could accuse either one of you of having an affair. And I could destroy your ministry. And it doesn't even have to be true. The accusation itself would do the job. I'm like, what? And this was like being used as a manipulation, an intimidation, and a threat. Like, that's not okay. That's not okay. There's something wrong with that. And there's unhealthy people that gravitate around churches. And so we need to have systems in place that can help process this stuff. So here's some things not to do. Um, if you see a concern with a leader in the church now or in the future, some things that are very, very common that people do, uh, number one, just quit. Just go, oh, I don't think I like that anymore, and just walk away. Go find another church. That's something you could do. Just not a good idea. Um, the second thing you could do, you could just gossip about it. It usually sounds like this. Go to your friend and say, I just want to see if you see this the way I do. And you're planting seeds of suspicion in other people, you know. Or, or slander them. Get together a bunch of friends and, and help make sure they see things, to a person in a negative light. Um, you know, you could do that. You can, um, you can, oh, my favorite one. You get frustrated, just kind of stuff it inside and wait for the next all-church meeting <laughs> where you can, you can grab a mic. And I mean, the, the reason I'm mentioning those things, they seem ridiculous, but they happen. They happen often. They happen, I mean, Moose laughing like, this happens, you hear the stories all the time. Like, the, what happened? There's things to not do. But what I also want us to do is if you, if you have an issue or a question, what you can do, number one, uh, be careful not to make assumptions, right? You have the thing that you know or saw, don't fill in all the gaps yet. Get actual information. Like, ask some good questions. Don't make assumptions about it. The second thing that you can do is, if your concern is with, uh, with this person, I mean, it could be with, with me, it could be with Ryan, it could be with an elder, whatever, if, if it's reasonably equal, like if you're, if you're okay with it, go, just go talk to him and ask a few questions. Hey, observe this thing. I heard you say this. Or you seem to be harsh in that meeting the other day. Can I ask you about that? Just go start the conversation and get some information and find out. If for some reason you can't do that or you tried to do that and that didn't work, then, then have that conversation with another elder in the church. Say, can I talk to you about this thing? I don't want to be gossipy, but you're in charge. You're a leader. And I just want to say, I, I saw this. I don't know what to do with it. And at some point then, at some point you can release. If, if you might not be the one to fix a problem, 
but you are you're going to be called at some point to trust God and to trust the leader the leadership team to be able to to follow up with what you saw um, and let them have that let let them work with that. There are ways to brace things and there are ways to not do it. It kind of ties in with uh, the third way to respect our elders is that we should expect integrity. We should expect integrity from the elders and teachers in the church. I mean, that is a biblical thing to do, and we should do it. Um, he says in, in here, that the reason why it should be okay for you to raise something and say something is because it should be the norm from your leaders to be humble, to listen well, to be introspective, and to to repent and confess when we sin. Because your elders sin too. We're all in process. It should be normal for us to say, you know what, I want to hear about that. I want to hear how my words impacted you. You know what, I think I probably was harsh. I had too much going on, and I didn't give that the attention that I, des- that I should have. Or you know what, you can inspect this area in my life because I want to walk with integrity. And where I'm not, I'll confess my sin and repent. That should be normal. And you should be able to, you should expect that that's the norm from your leaders. Paul says this, verse 20. Those elders who are sinning, which at times could be anybody, but he means unrepentantly, uh, you are to reprove before everyone so that others can take warning. And I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. And to do nothing out of favoritism. Elders sin. Teachers fail. And, and, uh, and, and being able to own that should be normal. Because we're here to follow Jesus. You are not here to follow me. You're not here to follow your next pastor. Other than we're following them as they're walking in the footsteps of Christ. Because we're all following Jesus. Amen? And so we follow that. And if someone strays from that path and goes over here, you're not called to follow that. You're called to follow Jesus. And so we call people back. We even call our leaders back onto the path of Christ. And when they come back, it's it's a repentance confession, right? That's what we do. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so we call each other back. But if someone goes off and they're not coming back, they're not repenting, and they're not refusing to acknowledge, they're refusing to see, and we've respectfully addressed it, then, then that falls to the leaders, not just anybody, but the leaders should, should at times publicly repu- reprove that um, before the church. So I, I thought of two examples of times where I failed to publicly repuve, reprove uh, when I think I should have. This is hard stuff, by the way. This is really hard stuff. I mean, who wants to stand up and publicly reprove an elder? But I I thought of two times. One of them, I had an elder who, uh, huge moral, bad moral sin issue that had been hidden and covered for a really long time, started to get uncovered. And immediately he's like, well, I'm just going to step off the elder team. I won't be an elder anymore. I'm going to work on that. And we didn't really know what it was yet. 
So he steps off and totally support that. Yep, go work on that. And then later over the months, we're learning more about what's in that box. We're like, oh my gosh, this is way worse than I thought. This is really bad. Um, but by then, what do you do? You know, I look back on it. We didn't say what that was because he wasn't an elder anymore. But I think in a sense, he was an elder and was finding ways to avoid being found out or, or whatever. Um, so I don't know. That's a hard one. I look at it and I think, I think the church should have known more about what that struggle was. That's a tough one. Um, another one I thought of where uh, I should have rebuked an elder and didn't was an elder that I had that just turned out to be just a bully. Just a, just a raw, harsh bully uh, who was confronted many, many times in private, in elder meetings, um, and it should have escalated to public confrontation that, at that point. I didn't because I was intimidated by him. I didn't because I was afraid. Which, which goes back to, as elders, we need to be able to work together. We need to be able to stand together and say, you know, this is really hard, but we're going to do this together. Right? That wasn't there. And so I'm like, if I do this alone, I'm going to get killed. Um, maybe, literally, uh, so I didn't. But Paul's like, you know what, the integrity of the church, though, requires us to do this. Jesus is watching his church. And, and uh, the leaders of the church have to walk with integrity. And we have to support and help that to happen in the positive ways if we can and in the hard ways when we have to. And he kind of, I, I take this as a comfort. The fourth way is time will tell. I didn't know how else to name this, but he says, he says, uh, the sins of some are obvious. Uh, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. You know, and it's, it's kind of like Paul is saying, you know, it's, it's not just up to you to make sure everyone is good. Time will tell. Time reveals things. Um, I th you know, for example, do, do you as a church know if I'm current on paying my taxes? You actually don't. <laughs> you you kind of don't know that. Do you know that I'm faithful to my wife? You're like, well, I certainly hope so. But you don't actually know that, really. Do you know if I have a gambling addiction? <laughs> Let me tell you this, though. Your elders should. And maybe they don't know if I'm up to date on all my taxes. I don't think we've talked about that. Um, but we talk about this kind of stuff. We hold each other accountable. Like, that's stuff we should know. So that you can know that that's known, and if there's something that needs to be dealt with, it's being dealt with. And you should be able to ask, are these things talked about and known? I don't need to know it, but I want to know that that integrity God values is there. So we can respectfully expect integrity in those ways. I think it's super cool that, uh, that this picture of the church as a family is there. 
that the love and commitment, not that, that we would like just naturally have for each other, is it, but that God's love and covenant to us gets expressed in family love and family covenant to one another because we're all his kids. And the structure that God's laid out, we get to just enjoy that. And we get to walk in it together and enjoy that God has helped us and structured us to be able to walk with integrity. So that, so that what? Why do we exist? Invite other people into the way of Jesus. And I'm telling you, when these other things that we don't really maybe want to think about, when they get pushed to the side or ignored or stepped on, these other things that help us to lead well and have integrity and love each other well, when that breaks down, we're not inviting people into the life-giving way of Jesus anymore. That piece is gone. And so to preserve that, we hold on and respect the integrity of the church. Amen? Amen. Uh, let me close with a word of prayer. Ryan's going to come up for our, our closing song. Father, thank you so much for caring about us, uh, caring about your people, for caring about your gospel enough to say, let's build some structure around how we do this so that we can keep on mission, so that our neighbors who need Jesus won't miss out on the gospel and miss out on the life-giving way of Jesus because we're busy struggling and fumbling and, and biting at each other over here. Lord, help us to just walk with integrity as a loving family that's not afraid to have honest discussions and support each other as we move together and call each other to the cross, call each other to the life-giving way of Jesus and, uh, and enjoy all the benefits and blessings of it. Thank you for this church, for a good history, a good path, and I pray, Lord, that you just continue to pave the way forward. In Jesus' name, amen.